Eternal and everlasting Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to be able to celebrate your goodness and uh, be able, O oh Lord, to recognize in our life how good you are to us. We ask, O oh Lord, on this day that you help us to show us, Lord, how to experience another level of living in your word. Because truly, this is a day that you have made. We thank you, Lord, for this time we have together. In your name we pray. Amen. I thank God for your pastor and uh, Dr. Stevens and the other ministers that are here. Pickett and Mrs. Stevens, we just we just blessed to uh, be able to be a part of this event. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to uh, to Philippians three. To um, Philippians three. And um, I noticed that you have for a theme uh, some key verses, and I'm, I'm going to deal with those key verses um, for a few moments, but I want to give, um, I, okay. I want to give uh, for a few moments uh, just an introduction in how the writer gets to these verses, if you don't mind. Um, uh, Philippians uh, written by Paul. Paul was incarcerated. Uh, we know this in Acts 16. He was incarcerated and uh, he founded the church on his second missionary journey, but he writes them to encourage them. It's almost, the, 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 it's almost like Paul is in a, what we call an oxymoron. He, he, he is incarcerated but he writes about, matter of fact, the secondary theme of this this book is joy. So he right. he right. you know he's incarcerated. He's he's in the midst of uh, uh, conflict, and he writes about joy. Amen. And that's that's it's very unique. The, the major the major overarching theme of of uh, Philippians is uh, matter of fact it's it's a full full theme. It's Christ is the message. You might want to write this down. Christ is the message of the gospel. That's, that's the overall arching theme. Christ is the message of the gospel. Christ is the model of the gospel. Christ is the means of the gospel. Amen. Uh, you know, Christ is the, um, the uh, model, means, message. Amen. And uh, motive of the gospel. Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, also, we see in first in, in Philippians, the first chapter, we see Paul is talking about a single mind. In the second chapter of Philippians, he's talking about a submissive mind. Third chapter, he's talking about a spiritual mind, and then in the fourth chapter, he's talking about a secure mind. Now we're gonna we're gonna get to that fourteenth verse of the fourth uh, chapter, thirteenth verse of the fourth chapter shortly, but. But he's talking about a submissive mind. But here in the third chapter, he deals with a spiritual mind. 
Notice in the first verse he says, Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. I, I, you know, conflict. Matter of fact, he talks about this conflict in the second verse. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of consention. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and having no confidence of the flesh. He, he talks about this. And, and in essence, what's happening is the church at Philippi is going through consension. There is dogs. Now, listen, Jews called Gentiles dogs. Amen. That's what they did. They called Gentiles dogs. But Paul flips it. He flips the script because the Judaizers was causing problems in the church of Philippi. So Paul flips the script and he calls the Judaizers dogs. Amen. I, you know, there is, uh, I just venture to say we live in a society that's full of dogs, not four-legged animals, but a lot of times two-legged animals who are trying to cause contention or consension in the body. One must be careful to make sure you understand how God is dealing with us and with you in the midst of consension. You've you got to understand that. I think a lot of times we give the enemy too much credit when consension comes. Dogs cause problems. We give the enemy too much credit. As my son, my grandson would say, Pop, I feel a little bit sleepy. Not a lot, but just a little bit sleepy. Well, today I feel a little bit sleepy. My grandson fell out of bed last night about 3 in the morning. And... Uh, and I feel a little bit sleepy. I'm talking to him at 3 in the morning trying to, his bed very low. He fell out, hit the floor, boom, you know, and his bed is very low. And he come running in my room and said, Pop, can we talk? And we start talking. <laughs> and he was crying. He was talking. And I said, well, okay, we're going to talk, and I'm going to tell you some things that help for you to calm down. And he said, okay, Pop. You have to be careful how consension sneaks in. Amen. So I says, you know what? You're not afraid of nothing. And he says, yes, I am, Pop. I said, no, nah, no, nah, you're not. I said, you're going to grow up to be a strong young man. And uh, you're going to, what do you want to be when you grow up? A policeman, a doctor, lawyer, fireman, a teacher, educator. What, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be camouflage man. I said, I said, camouflage man. Yeah, Pop, I want to be camouflage man. That's okay. You know, he went on to sleep. And I started reflecting on this, Miss Pig, on this camouflage man. 
And I thought about last Sunday. After church, we came home, had dinner. I said, I got to go up to Lowe's for a few minutes. And uh, I got to get a part because we're going to be working on in our bathroom fixing something. And uh, not me. I got somebody doing it. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Can't fix nothing. My wife reminds me of that. But anyway, and, and I went up to Lowe's, and there was this truck with the big wheels on it that was in front of me just and I noticed it was sitting there for a minute so and a person was talking and I tooted the horn remember what I said you got to be careful how dissension comes yeah. and I and I tooted the horn and it didn't move and I tooted the horn a couple of more times then four people jumped out the truck and they called me names they use expletives. And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting here thinking in my mind. I said, man, this is. And I'm looking at hands move and everything. I'm trying to see if anything is in anybody's hands. And, and uh, I'm locked in my car, and I'm, they're blocking me. And this happens. And, and they're coming toward me, you know, three women and a guy. They're coming toward me, young folks. They're hollering, calling me names. And uh, so I think to myself, last night when I couldn't go to sleep, I started reflecting back on that. And immediately I thought previously that it was the enemy. The enemy causing this problem, dissension in the body. Because I'm sitting there saying, man, if they had caught me back in the day, you understand what I'm saying? Everybody got what I'm saying? I'm sitting there thinking that way. They had to call me back. And I, and I concluded that it was the enemy causing me to think that way. Later on, I backed up and pulled out and went on to another spot in park. They followed me and they ended up going. But my point is, sometimes it's not the enemy. Sometimes it's God reminding you of sanctification. I want you to understand that because in, in, in your theme it says honor in the past. And the only way we can make sure that we honor the past is not necessarily get out the car, but God reminds us of how we used to be and how he's kept us thus far. And you, you follow what I'm saying? And God had to remind me that, you know, I got this. I took care of you. I bought you up. You know, many times I travel around the country, and, uh, and sometimes I wish, you know, you know I said, man, I, you know, I need to get a gun like the other guys. The other guys got a gun. They ride around with a gun to protect themselves. And Lord, the Lord knew how my temple was back in the day. Uh-huh. And the Lord knows that Miller don't need a gun. I'm not talking about anybody else have a gun. I'm not doing that, but... God knows that Miller don't need a gun. Help me, help me. I want you to understand this now. It's very important to be careful because when it comes up in our mind about how we used to be and we don't react to that, that's God reminding us that he has sanctified us. He has brought us out of that. In other words, I remember my salvation experience about how I used to be and I thank God what I am today. I 
I waited for a few moments in the automobile and prayed, and I walked into Lowe's, went into Lowe's. I started off telling the story about my grandson and about camouflage man. I realized last night at three-something in the morning while I was thinking and praying, I realized last night or this morning that, that there's no difference in those people at Lowe's and my grandson, four years old. There's no difference. Now, you, you said, well, Pastor Miller, you, your grandson is African-American, they're Anglo, yeah. But there's no difference. What do you mean there's no difference? There's no difference because both of them are immature. Both of them need a character adjustment. Are you following what I'm saying? And that will not occur until they have an encounter with Christ. So in essence, what Paul is dealing with here, Paul writes this letter to the church of Philippi. He talks about, amen, the dissension and the problems that they're having in the body. Paul could have easily said, you know, Man, back in the day, I'd have came over to Philippi and I'd straighten this stuff out. No, he didn't. He didn't do that, but he reflects on how good. Matter of fact, in the essence, what Paul is doing here, he's giving an audit on his life. Hey, Amen. I, I want you to understand, he's giving an audit on his life. I met with a friend of mine, Anglo brother, uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, we had lunch, and he was talking. I asked him about church. And he started reflecting on his we're doing this. We made this decision. My wife and I made the decision. We're not there anymore. We're different. And I started listening to him. I said, man, I says, uh, so you and your wife sat down and you, you did an audit on your life. And then you concluded that this is what you need to do and where you need to be. And he says, yes, that's what we did, an audit. He said, Miller, why would you say that? I said, because that's what the writer in Philippians does. He, Paul gives an audit in the first word. No, notice, notice what he says in uh in verse 13, I count myself to have apprehended. Amen. Count. He, he's doing an audit. He said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he has, whether, wherefore the might might trust in the flesh, I the more circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of, Jude, of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of the Pharisees concerning the zeal and persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law blameless. So this consension comes, and Paul, you see, if we let consension control us, what happens is we focus on the issue rather than on the Lord. You're not going to find joy. There's no joy in, in fighting. Amen. There's no joy in there's no joy in causing death. There's no joy in get, arguing with someone of you follow what I'm saying? So you find joy when you focus on what God has done for you, what the Lord is doing. That's where the joy comes from. That's why the writer says in Psalm 23, the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. In other words, Stop looking at the enemy and keep your eyes on the table. That's where the blessings is going to come from. But what things were gained to me, these I count loss for Christ. Man, you know, I remember back when I used to do certain things. But on last Sunday in front of Lowe's, I sat there thinking, 
Lord, thank you for me, for me not being the other guy I used to be. Amen. Thank you for letting me realize that what I am today, you've been keeping me. So what do I learn from this Philippians 3? Matter of fact, in verse 3, I learned true worship is in the spirit, not in the flesh. It honors Jesus Christ, not religious leaders. It depends on God's grace, not on fleshly strength. God's grace kept me last Sunday. God's grace helped me to that. Not my strength. Not jumping out the car acting crazy. Never lower yourself to where they are. Much of what Christians face in this, much of consension in what Christians face is fleshly religion. It's not true religion. We have enough morality to keep us out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get us into heaven. I wish I had a witness here. We feel a part of the church socially, but we have not been born into the church. Amen. We come to church because it's tradition, because we grew up that way, but we leave without the church ever being in us. So in essence, we, we are locked into a physical position of religion. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee. In other words, your physical position is irrelevant when it comes to your, God calls us to a relationship with him. We know enough religion to get us out of trouble, but not enough holiness to get us into heaven. We know enough religion to give people the impression that we are part of the family of God, but not enough holiness to get us into the family of God. Concerning the zeal of persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. This, this, this oxymoron, in other words, Paul could have easily came out of this and lashed out at the, at the Judaizers. But instead, what he desired to do was to minister to the Philippians. Ministry is important, not legalism. friend of mine, I met with him in Orlando a few years ago, and we were talking about our churches, and he said, he said, so Doc, what you gonna do New Year's Eve? I said, what do you mean? He says, uh, you gonna have watch night service? I said, no, we don't, we don't do watch night service. You don't do watch night service, Doc? I said, no, we do New Year's Eve service. That's what I mean. What's the difference? I said, he, then he says, what's the difference? I said, New Year's Eve service where we start about six. We home about eight before everybody starts shooting and acting crazy. We, you know, we, we pray. We, we spend the time with our families in our house, safe and secure, praying together in home. And we don't, church, he said. 
He said, Doc, you don't have watch night show where you start at 10 and see the new year go out, come in and the old year go out and stay and leave church at 1 and have a meal. I said, no, nah, we can do that at home. Me and my wife hold hands. We can <laughs> see the new year out, new year in at home. <laughs> you know, I says, in a safe environment. I says, I, I wouldn't challenge elderly people to move around that time of, uh, of night. It's, it's, it's dangerous. Then he said this to me. He said, but Doc, when you do it like you do it, they, they go to the club after church. I said, that's not my problem. I said, my responsibility is to minister and teach people so their character can change, so their mind. It's not to put legalistic restraints on them. That's what the church of Corinth wanted to do. They wanted to put legalistic restraints on people. That's not my problem. I, I just pray for them, teach them, and hopefully they don't operate by my desires and my faith that I teach them to grow so they can operate by their desires and their own faith. I want you to hear me now. That's very important. I'm a pastor of a church, but I don't get in my car going home wondering what they're doing. You know, what, how they acting. You know, that's not right. I better call them. I don't do that. I pray for them. I teach them the word. I share the gospel. Tell them how they're supposed to live. Help them to grow in the Lord. And I go home. Me and my wife minister to each other. He said, Doc, they go to the club. I said, they're serious about going to the club. If you want to stop them from going to the club, have 11 o'clock service at 11 o'clock at night. Oh, no, I ain't doing that. Well, then, okay. <laughs> See, it's God that changes hearts. It's God that changes people, not us. This church has been here for 129 years. But none of us, no one who has been here before us and will be here after us changes hearts. God is the one that does it. God does it. Concerning the zeal and persecuting the church, righteousness blameless. He said, but I count what things were gained to me, those things I count loss. God calls us to a relationship. He calls us to holiness. Amen. Chapter 6. I mean, in verse 6 of Philippians 3, Paul has a character adjustment. Moves out of that. He says, but what things were gained to me, verse 7, I count loss for Christ. Yea, the doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom have suffered the loss of all things, I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Salvation brings new values. We view our life as an accountant. We're always assessing our life. That's what Jesus is talking about. We should take up our cross daily. In other words, we, would take, we need to take time and reflect on what we're doing, how we're doing, and how God is ministering, and what God is doing us, and how God has brought us through. Paul says, all those other things in my past, I count dung. He, in other words, you know, he, he counted as excrement. Y'all farmers, I'm using the terminology you made, but you know what I'm talking about when a, when a cow goes in the field, and you know what I mean. 
He counts it all as crap for the excellency of God. Paul did an audit on his past and realized that God had cleared the books of his past through Christ. Verse 7, I counted as loss. I count all things lost for the excellency of in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, I did an audit on my life. I have suffered loss of many things, but I count those things as loss for him that I may win Christ. It's not another Bible study. It's not another master life course. It's not another sermon. It's a relationship. We have to lose religion to gain salvation. Paul, through faith, he won the righteousness of God. Verse 10, Paul reflects on this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Man, I like this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that I may know the power of his resurrection. He references Ephesians 3, 14, fellowship of sufferings. Amen. Our suffering should come from the fellowship that we have in Christ. Amen. The sufferings that he has encountered, our relationship should come from that because God has made us conformable unto his death. Paul also obtained a personal knowledge of Christ. Salvation is not knowing about Christ. Salvation is knowing him. Verse 11, he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. In other words, through, through Christ we have a new promise. The first resurrection, the resurrection of the just out from among the dead. Oh, man, that's the resurrection that we're concerned about. In essence, what I'm saying is God has called us to a sanctification whenever we can take an audit on our life and realize how good God has brought us and how God has kept us all these times as a people. That's sanctification. We're not sitting back wishing I used to be like that. And we're sitting back. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't even laugh about how we used to be. Amen. Too many of us won't laugh. Man, I used to be out there. No. I'm ashamed of my past. I'm ashamed of what I used to do. I'm ashamed of how I used to live my life. But thank God for his sanctification. Paul, and he, brethren, I count myself to, I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark, the prize of a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. If in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. Mark them which walk so as have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now 
tell you even weeping. Sanctification. You weep for those who are gone. You weep for those who have who, who are not a part of the fellowship. You mourn for family members who are living a life of unrighteousness. You don't blame yourself for why they're like that, but you mourn that they have not come into the realization of Christ. Sanctification. That they are the enemies of the cross. Those who end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who made earthly things, for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our veiled body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able. Paul closes this 13th, this third chapter out. He prefigures himself as a runner. First he starts off talking about an accountant, accounting, doing an audit, but now he perceives himself as a runner, running. In other words, he, he talks about apprehending. That's another way of saying, Paul is saying, that's the already that we have. Salvation is already. If you know him, he has entered into an engagement with you. The Lord that is irrevocable means you don't lose salvation. I am saved. I am being saved. And I shall be saved. The trichotomy nature of salvation. It is not about another Bible study, another program, another ministry. In other words, apprehend. Paul is saying, I want to get a hold of him who has got a hold of me. I wish I had a witness in here. Paul says, I follow after. I want to capture him for whom have already arrested me. Amen. So I count myself, verse 13, I count myself. One thing I do, forget, reach for those things. In other words, we live, as believers, we live in the already, but we also live in the not yet. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense. You make sense to me. In other words, what he's saying, what Paul is saying is, I already have a relationship with Christ. But I have not yet reached or understood the fullness of that relationship. So I live in the already, but I'm reaching for, my life reaches for the not yet. And as long as I serve him, as long as I have a relationship with him, I reach for it. I press toward the mark. Let us be perfect. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Too many Christians live divided lives. One part enjoys the things of the world and the other part in, tries to enjoy the Lord. Paul calls it double-minded. James calls it double-minded. Christians live in two realms, the already and the not yet. Not yet fully matured glorification. Amen, my relationship here. Paul ends up talking about glorification. Take off the mortal and put on immortality in verse 21. Change the veil. But I like how he closes out this thing. He says, he is able. God is able. God is able to take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick. God is able 
to straighten out what's crooked and make wrong things right. God is able to change midnight into daylight. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all this. On in the past, trusting the present. Why is he able? Embracing the future. Why is he able? Because Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, listen closely. In other words, what the writer in 4.13 is saying, when I first started my ministry in Rome, New York, where God first called me to minister to Christ and my personal Lord say, I mean, uh, accepted the calling to ministry, Philippians 4.13 became my favorite verse. Right, right, right. Amen. Right. Listen, listen, listen closely. What Philippians 4.13 is, is saying is that the Lord is our provider. Not yourself. The Lord provides. In other words, whenever you need a way out, the Lord would open the door and show you where it is. The Lord would be a provider. I close with this story, and I bid you farewell. Grandson's in the Navy, and uh, he left a few, few months ago to go to Japan. My grandson was small, went to a ball game. The ball game was playing the game, and young man hit an infield home run. And uh, I'm sitting there watching the game. Young man hit an infield home run, and my, my grandson at that time, he was very young, he said, Pop, I don't know why young people call grandfathers Pop. Make you feel so old, but... But I like it. <laughs> amen, amen. I, I, I think I let my grandchildren get away with stuff that I didn't let my children get away with. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all feel. In a way, he called me. He called me Pop. I said, yeah. He said, Pop, he's not looking. I said, what do you mean? He's not looking at the man get the ball. He's, he's going to throw him out. I said, I said, no, he's not. He said, Pop, but he's not watching. He's not, not watching what goes on runner comes around second and he's heading third. He said, Pop, he's going to throw him out. He's going to throw him out. And I said, no, he's not. He said, how you know, Pop, he's not watching. He comes around third and goes in the home plate. Infield home run. That happened too often in baseball. In infield home run. He said, Pop, how did you know that he wasn't going to throw him out? Why wasn't he looking behind him at the the guy with the ball. I said, he don't supposed to look behind him. I said, he's supposed to look at the third base umpire, third base, third base coach. That's what he's supposed to be doing. And I said, what he was doing was, he was looking at the third base coach, and the third base coach was saying, come on. Come on. That's all the third base coach was doing. Saying, come on. Jesus is our third base coach. When you, when, you, when you keep your eyes on your third base coach, not on your circumstances, not on what you encounter, Jesus will call you in every time. He will call you in the home plate every time. Every time. He said, Papa, I don't understand. Same kid. I said, you just got to keep your eyes on the Lord, Mayor. That's what you got to do. I said, Mayor, you got to understand. Same kid. 
says this. He says, Pop, the moon is shining tonight. I got a telescope. I bought him a telescope. I said, moon is shining. I said, son, the moon don't shine. He said, what do you mean, Pop? I said, it's shining now. I said, the moon don't shine. The moon reflects the light of the sun. We as believers got to always make sure, Miss Pickett, that we reflect the light of the S-O-N. Amen? When we do that, more years would be added to Good Hope's history. God bless you. Thank you.